Hello, Lucas, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How's it going? Good, good. So, uh, I invited you to have a chat. Been, been meaning to talk to you. I mean, I've, I've seen you uh, do a few debates uh, on uh, politically provoked and modern day debates, I believe. One with, uh, both with um, uh, Liquid Zulu. Uh, I believe, no, I think I had one debate where I partnered with Liquid Zulu and that one was on capitalism versus socialism. Mm-hmm. And I had, uh, another one with, um, Scott from Favorite Liberty and that one yes. was on anar- anarchism versus statism. Yes. That one was, uh, in the crucible, right? Yeah. That one was in the crucible. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not exactly... <sighs> Like, the, it was just so strange coming into conversation. Like, you are really for statism. Like, that's that's the hill you're going to die on. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. That's what they chose to die on. Yeah. They kind of wanted to um, change it along the way for, to, oh, we're only defending liberal democracies. But it's like, okay, then you should have phrased the debate from the beginning as liberal democracy versus anarchism. Yeah. So what did you, they think? So isn't statism like full-on authoritarianism? Well, so statism is basically anybody that advocates for the defense of the state. You can have, uh, so anybody that you know from like a minarchist that wants like a. Well, that uh, that's a very wide spectrum. Yeah, it's basically anybody that's not NCAP. <laughs> that's not an anarchist. I was thinking like all the way on the other side of the spectrum, like totalitarian. Uh, no. I don't know, monarchy or something, or... Well, one of my opponents, he was a... Uh, well, he used to be. Uh, I'm, I think he might have changed his uh, grounds now. But um, Dylan, he was a full-on commie, if, like, the first time I debated him. Okay. Uh, now he's not in favor of a centrally planned economy, so... Who knows? Maybe he's, maybe I changed his mind along the way. <laughs> I like the... I, I always like how... Um, socialists... It depends on which stage you catch them. You catch them on because, for example, when I'll debate socialists, I, I will always bring up the fact that millions of people died under socialism. So it depends on which stage they're on. Like if uh, stage one is, uh, no, they didn't prove it, and stage two is yes, but something, something, capitalism <laughs> also. So, yeah. So uh, I guess like with the uh, centrally planned, like. If you want like a moneyless society or like a communist, you know, utopia, then you have to have central planning. You can't avoid it, especially if exactly. you don't have if you don't have money. But then, like, well, Marxist-Leninism didn't really work out that well. Maybe we should do market socialism. Therefore, we do need uh, money and some degree of central planning. So it, they like they downgrade to market socialism. I mean, I I think it's very um. My opinion, at least, is very snaky when they pretend to be like, oh, I'm in favor of market socialism and I just want a only worker co-op economy. And mm-hmm. um, the reason that I find that snaky is because, so let's see, how, let me see how I put it. So if we're talking about them, hey, can you hear me? I can't hear yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Okay, no, you just went quiet for a second, so I thought you were, didn't hear me. Um, so if they go and say, oh, you know, I want a fully... Uh, like fully co-op economy where only co-ops beyond like let's say a, a business that has more than five employees has to be a worker co-op then well that requires central planning why because there's no there's no way to do capital investments in in a fully worker co-op 
right? So it would require central planning on the part of the loans, right? So it still would face the same amount of problems. It would face them less than a fully centralized economy, but, you know, it's mm -hmm. still not as bad as, you know, let's say like, like the USSR or something like that. Yeah, I think it's more like um, Yugoslavia in the 70s. So... Yeah, which wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, to some degree also, I think, like, they would do it not because it is very productive or it generates a lot of, you know, stuff or food or for the economy, but um, it's... So, sorry, the economy won't be as rich under this system, but it would be better than a fully centralized economy. So I think someone said... Exactly. If, uh, if a fully centralized economy is the productivity is one, then uh, co-ops like Yugoslavia in the seventies would be mm -hmm. four, like a multiple yeah. of four. And then a fully but, free market would be like a ten or something like that. Ten or twelve, yeah. Yeah, I, I was uh, I always find it funny because so a lot of people would say things like, "What do you when you know like some people would say, well, socialism doesn't work,' and it's like I I don't like when people say it doesn't work because it's like too vague of a word, right? Like like for example steroids when you when you look at something like a steroid steroids work right they make you stronger they may allow you to lift more they allow you to gain more muscle right but it has a lot of side effects what are the side effects it shrinks your balls it may make you go bald and stuff like that right so it works at what it does but it also has a lot of side effects right so socialism works right as centralizing the economy but it has a lot of you know side effects like starvation and you know de lack, de lack of freedom <laughs> Death-like symptoms. <clears throat> yeah, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose it works or doesn't work in the context of what was your goal. What are you striving exactly. for? Exactly. Exactly. So, like, it's uh, something that I agree with objectivists, right? Like, everything is according to a standard, right? When, he, yes. when, he, when, when you say it works, it's like, well, it works according to what standard? Like, did it work at killing a lot of people? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, yeah. What, what's the best system to kill socialists? Socialism, okay. Uh, socialism. <laughs> yeah, there. It's it's always funny because there. Uh, it's I find it funny because socialists are the first ones to get the bullets. Then they come from liberals. Then they go for anybody that's farther libertarian than than a liberal. And is, and then is this you something know. <laughs> you have experience with, uh, Lucas? Yeah. So I am. Um, so. On, so it's actually kind of funny because most people don't, can't tell where I'm from. I've been on panels and I've seen people in the comment section and they're like, what the fuck, a French and cap? And then when I went <laughs> in the crucible, when I went in the crucible, Big Papa Fascist was like, man, where are you from? Why do you sound like a Russian mobster? And I was like, first of all, I don't sound like a mobster and I don't sound Russian either. I'm Cuban. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I grew up in Cuba. <laughs> How about you? Where are you from? I'm in the UK at the moment, but go on. Uh, I, I am interested to hear uh, your story about Cuba, please. Uh, so I, I, I always like to say that I, I grew up in the, you know, beautiful socialist paradise of Cuba, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where, where people, uh, you know, bread doesn't wait for you. People wait for the bread. Um, uh, left Cuba when I was 14 and I've been okay. in the US and Florida ever since. So quite, so quite a few years. Yeah, yeah. I've been in the U.S. now for almost eight years now. And you, and you were in Cuba enough to like full, pretty much remember how it is there, right? 
Yeah, uh, I left. I got to the U.S. on my freshman year, so I did pretty much eight years of school there. Uh, you know, fourteen years of life. So could you could you tell me? And I'm I'm quite ignorant about what's what's the situation in Cuba now. I, I would say that recently there was this uh, thing on YouTube where a guy from Cuba, uh, Yoel, come came over to uh, America because his his girlfriend kind of uh, brought him. Visa and the thing with them is that they, she shows him something for the first time. So she showed him uh, Walmart for the first time. She showed him like a place where you can get like uh, DIY tools for the first time. And he's are always like, "Are you talking about like Joel Romero, like the fighter?" Or no, no, the, there's there's like a YouTube thing. I don't. I, it's not famous. It's just oh, like a regular. I think I know what you're talking about. Like that video is like Cuban guy watches blah 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 supermarket for the first time or something like that. Yeah, and it's always. It's I've always like, them. oh my god, I've never seen so much food in my life. Or like, he walks past the butter section, like, what's this? Different types of butter. And like, different types of butter? You have more yeah, than so one? And like, uh, so could you kind of like color, add color for me as the picture that is in Cuba from what you remember? Well, so since most of the, what I call the legal economy, right, uh, in Cuba is centrally planned, controlled by the state, right? Uh, there's most of the stuff are, you know, like one branding or, or different, you know, like there's no like multiple types of lemon soda, right? Like it's only one, okay. uh, when it comes to like something like Coca-Cola, there's only one, there's no Coca-Cola and Pepsi and so on and so on. There's only one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so normally that's, that's probably the reason that he was like surprised, right? Now there's something else that, you know. Like if you talk to most Cubans, uh, they'll tell you about there's a very strong black market in Cuba of goods because, you know, since people cannot do it illegally, they just mostly go to the black market and make the goods and sell them, you know, illegally till okay. they get caught. And that's like a, how many people do you think use the black market? Everybody, everybody. So, I, in terms of food, though, in terms of food, um, obviously you don't have a variety, but do you have enough food, like enough of the stuff you need? So, okay, let me see. So, it's very hard to for me to tell you how bad it is because I didn't have the life of a like the average Cuban because I had okay. you know family in the United States. So they would send us money and, you know, help us. Is this, I've know. thought of this before. Is this common that families send money? Like in oh, yeah. Miami, they send? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very common. Most people survive out of that uh, because, you know, the people that work for the state, they don't make enough money to make a living. And other people then just resort to working in the black market. And then they're, you know, they're putting their skin in the game because if they get caught, they'll go to jail. Uh, how much does the government crack down on black market activities? Uh, it would depend on the time. Um, so like when I was there, it wasn't, they weren't cracking down on it as bad. They're, you know, they still like, if you saw it, were caught by a cop or something, uh, he, you know, you still get in trouble and stuff. But I, I think it was like in, around 2018, uh, when I think it was, yeah, it was around 2018. They started cracking down on it like extremely hard. I had a friend of mine that spent two years in jail because he bought a pair of sandals to his girlfriend from a government-owned store, and um, 
and then the government-owned store doesn't have returns. So the, when he got home and he gave her the, the sandals, they didn't fit her. So he was like, well, I can't return them. So I'm going to sell them to somebody that wants them, right? It's just, I'll give you this and you give me money, right? And um, he got caught and he ended up spending two years in jail for wow. doing that. Yeah. But um, a... it, it depends. It, it, it varies on like degrees. Sometimes it's far worse. Sometimes it's they're more lenient on it. I, it depends on you know what the authorities feel like at the moment. I guess. Was your friend like uh, someone who they saw as politically? No, not at a all. Risk or something or. No, no. It's just during that time they decided to crack down on black market activities, and you know they decided to. He was one of the ones that got cracked down, cracked down on, I guess. Okay. So, sorry, you were saying in terms of uh, amounts of food. Oh, yeah. So, so I had a, I wouldn't say decent, uh, like, you know, eating standard, like compared to like foreign countries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to Cuban standards, I was eating better than the average person, right? Uh, because of the help that we were getting from or your family in the US, right? Uh, but when it comes to like the living conditions of the average human, there's there's quite a few people that are either starving or struggling to eat. Okay. So yeah. I I have seen some some um YouTube videos where like British tourists come to Cuba and like a lot of the old people are still like in the communist mentality of like yes I really like Cuba and everything and it it does seem like a relatively sp- sparse place. Like it doesn't have too many things there, too many features. Uh, it, the people seem very nice. Everything seems, uh, from what I recall, relatively old. The cars are obviously mm-hmm. very old. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, tourism and stuff like that, or even trade with other countries, obviously not not with the U.S. Like, how does that work in Cuba? So Cuba, so I, that's one of the reasons I hate when people call it a blockade is because it's actually not. It's just an embargo. The only thing that the U.S. doesn't allow for trade to happen is American companies that don't sell food or medicine cannot. Like if you sell food or medicine and you're an American company, you can sell to Cuba. But anything outside of food and medicine, American companies cannot sell to Cuba. So that means that Cuba still has access to the rest of the economy, international economy, right? Uh, most mm-hmm. of the economic problems that Cuba has and the reason that a lot of countries don't want to trade with Cuba is because they don't pay their debts. So back in the, I think it was back in the 80s, um, Cuba had a, tra- a deal with China where China gave Cuba like a lot of buses for like public transportation and stuff like that. And okay. Cuba still owes China money uh, and there's probably no future or hope for Cuba ever paying them. So the Chinese government is like very skeptical on loaning them stuff and so on and it's mostly like that with almost every single government what uh, cuba say listen brother com- comrade we're both communists can't <laughs> you help like a comrade out or something yeah and they never pay <laughs> okay yeah. but uh, as far as i recall tourism is is uh, a big or the biggest uh, part of the gdp is that accurate yeah yeah well so tourism is part of the biggest part of the gdp uh Mostly because it's the only part that is not really run by the state as much, except oh, okay. for the, like hotels are not run by the state. 
uh, I mean, my bad. Hotels are the only thing that are run by the state. But everything else, like when it comes to like, if you want to buy artisany, like you know, art or like paint, stuff like that, it's not really uh, owned by the state. Like the people, the cars, the old cars that people rent when they go over there, those are owned by private uh, people that they rent their cars and they keep them in running and stuff. So they rent them. Uh, restaurants are mostly privately owned. Uh, there's a few um, like government-owned restaurants, but mm -hmm. the most successful ones are privately owned since 2008, I think it was, when they started doing a little bit of liberalization of the economy. Oh, okay. Was was um, something with Obama that he... Yeah, Obama, uh, as much as I dislike him, uh, he actually uh, helped uh, with the liberalization of Cuba a lot. I think he had a lot of influence on that. I, as much as I dislike him, I got to give him credit for that. <laughs> what exactly did he uh, liberalize? So, well, it was, so the fact that he was able to, like, willing to go to Cuba and actually, like, talk with the people, he actually gave his speech in Cuba, and he talked about, you know, Cubans should have the right to start a business, blah, 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 and I think uh, it had a bit of a shock in the authorities, and that, uh, that moved the needle a little bit towards liberalization, you know, the economy. Okay. Uh, recently, with the, with the pandemic, I think tourism has been hit very hard, if, yes. if not decimated in Cuba and, and there were some riots now I am I've found it very difficult to get any information as to what happened and every time I, I have discussions with people online who are you know pro-socialism pro-communism they'll say only one person died by accident and and actually there were more people who rioted against the rioters or like pro-government people so could you fill me in on what is actually on the ground so um so the thing is, so it's a bit more complicated than both the right and the left want to pretend it is. So conservatives have are pretending that it's it's only anti-socialist, it's only anti-communist, and you know socialists are saying, oh no, they're only protesting about the vaccines. The, the reality is that it's both, right? They're protesting because they want food, they want their vaccines and stuff like that, and the protest is was mostly anti-socialist too. So it was a combination of both. It's like both sides were wrong but both sides were also right uh when it comes to the death we don't know how many people actually died um there's a lot of people that are missing and we don't know whether whether they're alive whether they're in you know sacred working camps like they've done before uh we don't know we don't know we know there's people that are missing and they were taken by the authorities and we don't know whether they're even alive or not we, we don't know so do we know that there's only one documented death? Yes. Do we know how many people died? No, because we know that there's hundreds of people that are missing, so it's hard to say how many people have died, you know? Oh, and on regards to the counter-protest that happened to the protest, so what actually happened was, so the protests the, were pretty decentralized. People just took to the streets because, you know, tired of the uh, lockdowns and stuff like that. Um... And then the quote-unquote president of Cuba, because, you know, not really a president since he didn't get elected. Um, so he put a message on national television, right, which is owned by the state, obviously, um, and saying that everybody that was in favor of the state and socialism should go to the streets, right? But that wasn't only it. So people that worked for the state were also threatened with getting fired if they didn't go to the protest. 
So everybody that worked for the state, which is most people oh. in Cuba, were threatened with getting fired if they didn't go to their counter protest. So this was like a show show of false or something from the government? Yeah, it was it was that's pretty much what it was. He said uh one of the things that he said during the speech was that uh that the streets don't belong to the people, they belong to revolutionaries. So huh? pretty, pretty much everybody that's yeah, he said that the the streets don't belong to people, they belong to revolutionaries or something along those lines. So basically saying that it's not everybody in Cuba that owns the streets, it's only socialist. Sounds like a fascist kind of thing, like if you haven't served in the army, you're not a real citizen or something like that. Something along those lines, yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah, basically, yeah. Okay, so I, I'll leave this depressing topic. I, I am interested, though, <laughs> how... Well, I mean, to some degree, like I, I can expect that someone like yourself would not like governments. But how did you evolve into uh, anarcho-capitalism from coming to, coming from Cuba? So, um, so growing up, I I read all this stuff. Like I read Marx, I've read Hegel, I've read Lenin. I've I know about scientific materialism and all the Hegelian stuff, right? I know about it. Um, but when I was around. 12 years old I got one book from my grandfather and it was a book by uh, fuck uh, Ricardo what's his name Ricardo David the economist Ricardo? The yeah that, David Ricardo and uh, I, that was like the thing that kind of like started allowing me to like question the authorities I mean I okay. still had like a little bit of a um Spite from growing up against the Cuban government because my grandfather on my mom's side was a political refugee. He lived in the United States since the 80s. Uh, but, you know, I never really connected it that it was socialism, that it was the problem. It was or I think the current authorities are the problem. And then the biggest awakening for me was when I was in my in sixth, seventh grade. I joined a theater group and um, I was I played the main character on a on a play uh that was written by a like a very famous Cuban writer uh he's very known across Latin America his name is Jose Martí and uh, he was a very very well-known classical thinker he actually lived in the United States in Tampa too um and he actually worked for, I think uh for the United States government too back in the 1800s and uh, I played the main character in a play by him. And as I was incorporating the ideas of the main character, uh, I realized through playing the character uh, that what Jose Marti was criticizing in his play was a tyrannical government. And I kind of realized that I myself was living in a tyrannical government. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. It's interesting how ideas change people. Yeah, so, and then after that, I got to the United States, uh, pretty much was a, like a, a small L libertarian. I didn't even know what libertarianism was. I just mostly lean classical liberal. I, I was like, I agree with Republicans on some things, but, and with Democrats on, on other things, but I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I don't really know. So, and then through, I think it was, I don't, I think it was, I, I don't know, remember whether I found recent TV first or uh, Milton Friedman the 1980s videos first or Thomas okay. Sowell. It was one of those three things that I found first. And that kind of led me on the path towards becoming a libertarian, uh, pretty much throughout my whole, like towards the end of my high school career. 
And then about two years ago, I started considering myself a minarchist after a lot of reading and stuff like that. And uh, I've been in anarcho considering myself an anarcho-capitalist for about a year now. Okay. Uh, six. So I had a little. So it's been a year. I had a bit of a like one month that I because I ran into like I, I question my own ideas all the time, which I think is I think is a healthy thing to do. And uh, I had since you know in the past year I had like one month where I didn't consider myself an anarchist because I ran into like one problem. Uh, that I didn't know how to solve within anarcho-capitalism. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, maybe we need a state for that. But then I kind of like read some more stuff and I was like, oh, okay. So there are ways to solve that. And, you know. It's interesting. I, I, I do like in, in anarcho-capitalism, there's some things that, so, so obviously like on my side, there's a lot of principles and a lot of concept and overarching kind of uh, framework. Uh, but sometimes uh, that that I I feel is well thought out. But sometimes when I do debates with um, socialists or, or like uh, maybe more hard left, you can ca I can categorize it. They have yeah, these like a questions. Yeah, like social democrat or something like that. Yeah, they have these questions, and and sometimes I find myself leaning towards solution from uh, ANCAPs. Okay. I I would say though that um, some of some of the ANCAP solutions to things i don't feel have a lot of like evidence in reality or sorry, evidence in history um mm -hmm. and maybe we can discuss those things like oh, let's put it this way i would like there to be more people who have tried this and it worked out and i have some examples then yeah i mean it sounds like a, it sounds like a good solution um but you know when it's when it's in a debate everything is is very uh, is criticized heavily so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of you're stuff. Probably, uh, sorry, you're probably ahead. running into a lot of that because, I mean, I, I always make the joke that uh, objectivists are end caps that haven't realized that what anarchism means, right? Uh, <laughs> because uh, a lot of what Rand would say, even said in her, in her works, right, it was that we needed a government. Now, she never said that we needed a, like an actual state, right? And what... Why? What is the difference? Sometimes people ask us, right, between a state and a government, right? So a government is just a body of, like, a body or institution, right, that a group of people within a community have decided to choose to organize their property or you know, uh, deal with conflict and stuff like that, right? Now, why? Why do we make the difference between a state, right? So the state is. Give me one second. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay, so what is the difference then between like the state and stuff for us, right? So we make the distinction that the state is not just the government, that the state is a specific institution that is exempt from all the stuff that every other citizen is. So every sit, you know, if a citizen steals from another citizen, then he's a thief. But if the state takes your property without your consent, it's just taxes. And I think even Rand agree with that because she didn't want a compulsory taxation. She wanted a, a government that was funded through voluntary contributions to the to the community. Mm -hmm. Well, I so with Rand with Rand, with Rand and Ayn Rand and objectivism, there is the concept of a state. So I'll tell you what I understand. There is the concept of a state, 
the um the states the the role of the government is basically what you would consider a night watch state uh so courts army yeah. courts army uh police stuff that 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 uh, uses has a monopoly on violence in order to remove violence from society so they if someone initiates violence the government will act as your agent to retaliate violence and punish or prevent uh those things from happening the and that and that's like the basis like before you have that you can't start anything you have to have that first and then you can start you know m capitalism and stuff like that um as far as i understood okay. there is also laws that that's the role of the government to pass laws objective laws not not subjective laws very very clear and specific laws and if uh they are subjective and any judge can interpret them any way, any way he or she likes then they're not good laws and they should be replaced with objective ones there's a there's a whole very interesting actually uh, interview she did about objective laws there is also voting there is also um uh democratic vote voting there there are very strong individual rights yeah so that uh, you can't a majority cannot vote to take those rights away from other people but mm -hmm. i think there was a, i'm not exactly sure to what to what degree that voting includes but my understanding is that democratic vo voting reduces violence and you can uh, do things like you you can vote on things like uh public policies or something political but you can't vote on anything economic you can't vote on tax and stuff like that with regards to how to mm -hmm. fund the government it was either fees that like if you needed a certain piece of paper or you needed the like the court to, and stuff like that yeah like the maybe or, or i was i understood like if you need the police to guard your you have a big event a big like mm -hmm. uh, corporate event you need the police to guard for security and stuff like that that would be a fee uh, yeah. And anything else would be like voluntary contributions, like a like a charity. They'd knock on your door. They said we're collecting for the local police. If you feel that the police have been good this uh, this month, please consider mm -hmm. donating. Yeah, I mean it 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 pretty much works like what we call a right enforcement agency. It's just a non for profit right enforcement agency that is yeah, yeah. Dem democratic democratically run by the members of the community. Now so, I I would I would say also that you can probably ask me questions that I may not have answers to, because that this political side is not something I'm. I'm and, very, and to be I'm honest, like, it's, and to be fair to you, like it's not the thing that Randy the clearest on. You know, like she wasn't very clear on what was the proper government. She, you know, so like it would. She admitted that there should be something like a proper government, but she wasn't very specific on there because that wasn't her main goal. You know, her main goal was creating a philosophy that people can do to or pursue their own happiness and on a policy, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, she didn't, you know, in terms of principles, she has a lot of those and it, it's it's helpful. Uh, but in terms of specifics, I think she left it for other people. Like, for example, um, towards the end of her life, she studied some uh, neurology and she, and mathematics and she tried to see if it how it connects to objectivism but uh the area of like how the brain works and how um how can i say this there are certain areas where she left it open for other people to add to but but she yeah. did she did are you say, talking about psychopistemology well the, we we do she 
started that concept, psychopistemology. I was talking about neurology, mm-hmm. but uh, oh, okay, on, my on, bad. On, on neuroscience, but um, health system in terms of what she says that that is closed. If you add something to it, that's like your system. Mm-hmm. If you use all of obje- all of objectivism plus your stuff, that's a new thing now. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the main concern that I have with um, that I, I, that I have more generally with the minarchists that are okay with the state, um, like ex- enforcing violence upon the citizens. Mm-hmm. It's it's I always say that you know people most minarchists non-objectivists uh, that are okay with you know like taxation and stuff like that they'll say things like well we need a state because humans are not angels and I always say that to the when I people tell yeah. me that it's like I always say yeah but it's because humans are not angels that we cannot have a state because then any human that is bad will try to seize power over their state and then they will do all the atrocities that have been done before. Yeah, it's a uh, it's very common something I see. It's like, uh, and let me just relate in an economic sense. People in the market are, uh, and I'm I'm being a bit sarcastic here, but people in the market are like evil individualists, mm-hmm. egoists. But the people in the government, they're all angels, you know, self-sacrifice. Money doesn't really affect them. They're doing it for the greater good. I'm like, no, there's there's even actually a. Um, a, st- a field in economics called public choice theory, which basically says the people in government are rational actors trying to maximize their self-interest, just like anyone in uh, in the market. And when you view it that way, uh, certain policy de- decisions made in the government start to make a lot more sense. But it, but yeah. but people like usually have this like very um, glowing appreciation of the government especially people who who deeply like the government um about the people the people inside i think it's very frustrating uh because it kind of in the economic sense it means that there is an expectation that the market will fail in something and that the government will fix it but there is no concept of government failing there's no government failure and making things worse it's just the market is bad and the government is there to fix it yeah, like there is the term market failure, but they never talk about government failure, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What you, what you were kind of getting at is something that it, like Bastiat, Frederick Bastiat. I don't know if you're familiar with Bastiat, the French economist. Bastiat. Even the, about, yeah. The one that wrote the law. Yeah, yeah, that one. He yeah. spoke about how you know people would say that you know the qualities of men are not enough that he should be free, but somehow the qualities of the rulers are different and. And they mean he's like, are they make of a spef- like a better kind of clay or something? No, they're the same as us, you know. So it's like it's a bit a bit of a fallacy, you know. It's like, oh, you know, humans are not good, therefore we should have humans with more power. It's like why, you know, like makes no sense. Yeah, you can always ask, well, why the both the people with the power are still human? So why would they? They said no. Yeah, why would we give them the power? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's a. Uh... It's a struggle. I mean, I. It's not something I completely understand. Like, what's the mental process that made you reach that point? I just think that uh, actually, I would say this. I, I I think, and this is slightly oversimplifying, but I think that um, these sorts of people think that um, corporations in the market are are like these big tyrants, 
and evil people that have immense amount of power, and we have to have uh, people in government with immense amount of power. We have to give them this immense amount of power so they can protect us from these evil uh, tyrants in the in the market. Yeah, I don't, I don't really understand. And and then then the other part that comes into that is is the 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 anarcho-socialist, right? That then they'll say things like, "Oh, we should have a society where everybody has exactly the same amount of power." And then the question that I always pose to that is like, "Well, how the hell are you going to redistribute power like that?" You know, because the way we we say is that people figured it out in the market, right? But then they say we just want a strong like democratic control, which is like. Well, somebody's going to be at the top of the, like, elected by the democracy to enforce stuff. So it's like, it, you know, it makes no sense to me either. I, I mean, I don't know. Who are, who are um, branches in, that are close to an anarchism that you feel are completely off the core principles and have gone in a very strange direction? You mentioned... I would uh, say a lot of... So a lot of anarcho-socialists and a lot of anarcho-communists have 100% left the principles completely. Um, what is, what is the, can you remind me what those two mean roughly? So, so I always like to, and this is based on my understanding, there might be an anarcho-socialist that can correct me on this. Uh, the, the main difference between an anarcho-socialist and an anarcho-communist is that an anarcho-socialist one's everything run every so the like the necessary things like housing food and um housing food and uh basically the things that we need to survive you know those things run by the community as a whole and the rest thing the rest of stuff run with worker co-ops uh or self you know like self-employed people and then mm -hmm. an anarcho communist just wants everything to run be run by the commune to some degree, it's it's like uh, communism proper, but without the government, right? It's weird. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into it. <laughs> so I I think yeah, I think uh, a lot of communists like were upset at you know Marxist Leninism, and uh, they're like, well, those people, those countries had like a very authoritarian government, and we never want like in communism, as Marx said, like the government is supposed to fade away, but I always like when I read Marx. I'm like, no, the Marx's understanding of what the role of government was was that they protect property rights, and when that need is removed from, you know, uh, either abolishing private property and then in in communism abolishing all property rights to, uh, to some degree, um, then uh, the government will fa will basically fade away because that was their core functionality. And with anarcho-communists, like, well, we always never wanted the government to to exist so we this is kind of like the same principle it's like voting and worker corps and uh, committees and stuff like that did i lose you lucas no i'm sorry uh, my dad was calling me so yeah oh. i mean yeah yeah i mean yeah it, it's it's weird so i don't know man this is the one thing that I always tell libertarians is never try to make sense of socialism because socialism is like scientific materialism, which is one of the things that one of the epistemologies that it, like communism and socialism are based on. 
is mm-hmm. based on the idea that every system has contradictions. So we don't have to worry about the contradictions that we have because every system has them. So whatever. So it's like, you you always hear libertarians that are like, well, this shit, like, it doesn't make sense. There's contradictions here. Well, but, they like contradictions. And it's, uh, it's they're like, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, yeah, I know. They know that. They they don't care. Well, <laughs> Stop Marxism trying to make is, sense of it. <laughs> the philosophy of Marxism is entirely based on contradictions. Like at, at the root core is contradictions. They look they yeah. look for contradictions. Yeah, yeah, like the like they'll even like say things like A can be A and non A. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, thesis, <laughs> thesis, and antithesis and synthesis. That's like, that's like a contradiction. Like thesis and, and antithesis. It's it's a it's a contradiction in it's a contradiction mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. P- yeah. People so like listen like, to this. Like, no, that's not. That's not what Hegel meant. He didn't violate Aristotle's law of non-contradiction. Yeah, he did. Ki- did yeah, kind he did. of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. They just don't want to admit to it. Um. So, so yeah. tell me, so tell me something. How was it going through high school, being a libertarian, and/or uh, ANCAP? Just never spoke of it. <laughs> just never. So when I was in, well, I, I became an ANCAP. I would became a hardcore libertarian like out of high school. Uh, close to my senior year, at the end okay. of my senior year. Um, most throughout high school, I was just, you know, I was like not really concerned with politics. I still had my own values. Like I was anti-government and anti, you know, like state and stuff like that. But I wasn't like as involved in the philosophy or learning about it as, as much, you know. But I, during that time, uh, I actually remember I was mostly during the atheist phase because I became an atheist at 15 14, 15 I'm not sure okay. uh, and I was like very heavy into like arguing with Christians <laughs> that was mostly what I was arguing with <laughs> it, it was popular like uh, back when Christopher Hitchens Sam Harris and uh, that biologist I forgot the name Doc, Doc, Dawkins Dawkins Richard Dawkins yeah yeah it was like you know those together were like attacking Christianity and religion in general mm-hmm. it was uh, it was quite an exciting time but i think yeah when like it reached its peak like they all went different ways uh i think it reached the peak during the trump when trump ran trump, for president okay. he shifted everything from religion into politics uh, that's the way i see it okay maybe i'm wrong but that's the way i see it i think trump made it everything about politics instead of religion Seems Which i don't like know whether it's a good thing or no Seems to me that everything political now is very much religious. Yeah, to a certain extent, yeah. Or like, at least that's, that's how that serious. I, you will see that a lot of the like the same fallacies that um, that religious people make, people that are, like are adamant defenders of the state make. So, like they like um. Like the idea of defending a like a like any kind of state, right? It's basically a form of um, Pasquale's wagers, right? We, there, you know. We could Sorry, have. Can a, you? Do you know what? Are you familiar with Pascal's wager? Uh, yes, a little bit. Like if if God. If sorry, even if God exists or not exists, you may as well pretend that it does, because if you die and go to heaven. If yeah. you die, then you will go to heaven. If not, then you just acted 
as if mm-hmm. God exists or something. Yeah, I mean, and then there, the fallacy that has been sneaked in there is that there could also be a God that if you believe in him or you pretend to believe in him, he would punish you instead of you had admitted that you didn't believe in him. Yeah. And, and but... the same thing can happen with when it comes to like the state, you know? What do you in mean? My opinion. Like, do you, you're here. Okay, so you hear people that are, and the ones that piss me off when they do it is mostly progressives. Because they don't think, so they don't see the state as the entity that protects life, liberty, and property, right? They see the state as a means towards they can, that they can use to redistribute wealth and achieve a more economically equal society, right? But yes. they'll pretend when they're debating us, right? Uh, when they're debating us, they'll pretend that um that they are talking about you know regular liberalism the state has only one role to defend life liberty and property but it's like no you actually want to say that it's based on 100 percent doesn't give a crap about the right of liberty and property because you're defending all of this horrible stuff that the state do like lockdowns and mandates mm-hmm. and and you know like high, heavy taxation like you'll see people defending like 45 50 percent taxation so it's like just admit that you're you don't care about life, liberty, and property, you know. I I feel I feel when I have these discussions with with uh, people on the left, I guess um, they they will say like, yeah, yeah, but we can fix that, or yeah, yeah, but um, you know, we didn't I mean, mean for that to happen, and maybe we can fix it. I mean, but they cannot fix the the theft because <laughs> right. that is what the state is based yeah. on, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they see it in principle. I think. I think you and uh, Liquid Zulu have like a very principled stance on these things. But I think um, with I, I, I think with them it's like a on. mix. It's like a mixture. It's like you know, there's some good, some bad. Who can read? It's like a pragmatic uh, mixture of things. So like, yeah, yeah we are kind it's of stealing. Utilitarianism. We, sorry, it's utilitarianism. It's a form. It's a form of utilitarianism. It's a form of pragmatism. Um, and like, yeah, you can say we're trying to make people happy. So if like we, we take some money from these rich people over here and give them to the poor, then we've made overall happier. And that's all I care about, even though there's no principle behind Mm -hmm. it. And it's very difficult to even measure utility to some degree, but you basically have this like, uh, emotional, uh, reaction to, to, you know, people being poor. And I, I can appreciate that. And you say, well, we need to fix this and how do we fix it? We take money from these rich people because they don't really need it and we'll give them to them and that's how we should do these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's like I said, it's utilitarianism 101, you know. Uh, the reason I said that I'm not like as principal is because people, so I, I told you that I'm like, I have like my own alignments with egoism. I mean, with um, objectivism and it mostly has to do with the fact that I'm I'm an egoist. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when it comes to like lifeboat scenarios, uh, people like Zulu that are deontologists, they say that you know stealing is always wrong, no matter what you're gonna do. And I'm like, no, dude, if I'm in a lifeboat scenario, right, and I need to steal something to save my own life or the life of somebody that I value, I'll steal it, and then that person that I was that I stole from can take me to court, and I'll you know I'll pay them back for whatever I stole or give it back to them, you know. So did you? I don't know. Is that is that the uh, would you steal a penny to save the universe argument? Basically, yeah. Basically, Zulu said he wouldn't, and when I said I would, he's like, "Well, you don't believe in the principles." I was like, "Sure, but I'm an egoist. I don't give a shit about it." Shut I up. I have a different <laughs> I have a different answer. 
Okay, go on. I'll just ask. Well, the the whole you <laughs> see, this is the problem that I have with the hypo with a lot of hypotheticals, right? That they go beyond reason, right? They go yes. they make a it's like okay no but he says no and it's like okay then i'll take it and then i'll give it back to him well i i think <laughs> i think to some degree it's very hard to argue that that person would say no because if the universe will be destroyed they can't spend that penny anyway yeah he, oh, and, oh, and he, that person probably will be destroyed alone too so it's like okay so you've created a hypothetical that goes beyond reason and you still want me to engage with it okay i'll steal the penny and then after I saved the whole world because I stole a penny, then if that guy wants to be petty and take me to arbitration over a penny, I'll go to arbitration with him. And what do I have to do? Give him two pennies? Okay, like whatever. Well, I, you know? I, I think, I think you don't need to concern yourself so much with these things. I think because if, it I, doesn't if I can matter. give you it some align uh, with reality. Yeah, yeah. And if I can give you some, uh, you may already know this, but if I can give you some advice on debating these kinds of situations you tell me what you think if this sounds sounds uh okay okay a lot of the times it, it depends on the approach of the people but a lot of the times if you inject reality into the hypothetical the situation that they're raising it uh it destroys the whole argument now i think i think i think uh zuri is actually very good at he well he doesn't actually provide examples from reality but he does he does provide examples like he, he has a principle and he's trying to provide uh, some uh, like he's trying to make it sound good or explain it through induction through providing some sort of mm -hmm. example but some of them i think are a bit are a bit iffy i remember like one with uh, yellow socks and people appreciating him so it's very difficult to relate to that example <laughs> but oh, um if if you inject reality into the situation it's very it always kind of destroys the whole premise. So, for example, you tell me mm -hmm. what you think. This is actually a complicated hypothetical, but tell me what you think. So, <clears throat> if um, if I have more money, then I have more power. How do I have more power? I use my money to either corrupt officials or corrupt government uh, or corrupt politicians, sorry, and they abuse the law and the and they abuse their power and, and do something, and, th and therefore that's how I have more power, by using my money to persuade these people. But then I say, well, if you do that, that is illegal, and you will go to prison. But, but that's like excluded from the, the going to prison for abusing your power or, or blackmailing or bribing. or that's, that's not considered in the conversation, but it's a very fundamental part of living in a civilized society. You can't do these things forever, or, lo or long term, it's not a... It's not a good idea. So, for example, you, if I inject long-term into a sentence in this hypothetical, it automatically kind of destroys the, the premise. What, what do you think? I, I think I see what you're saying. Like, when you start thinking about what are the... What, are, what, is, what ends up happening in, in, like, the hypothetical in the long term. Like, some people would bring up, like, the, like some socialists bring up the famous coconut on like the coconut Oh, how do you analogy. solve the coconut island one? Ah, okay, so. Straight for the sucking dick, yeah? Yeah, whatever, you know? <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, so, I mean, so I find it funny because, one, I don't have a problem with prostitution as a as a job, right? Like, I think prostitution should be 100% like about, you know? And I find it funny that lefties will say that prostitution should be legal, right? But then right after they'll 
use that analogy like if prostitution was something bad and it's like well so is it bad or is it good right so it's ridiculous another thing is that the, there's so many problems with that analogy um the main one is that no matter what system of governance you use everybody there is going to die because if you fall on an island where there is only enough coconuts that this guy was managed to gather them and he, now he has enough coconuts that he can defend them and um and all of that mm -hmm. and um and all of that right so it's like there's no point you know it's like well what happens after the coconuts run out they're both dead you know so it's like it's like i always make the joke of okay well let's say that we have a coconut island and two people fall on it and they start a coconut co-op now the two owners of the coconut co-op want you to suck their dick for coconuts it's like oh so now it's even worse because now instead of sucking one dick you have to suck two dicks <laughs> <laughs> i don't i, I don't think it's a very good i i th i think it's a i remember i remember someone doing the coconut analogy to me back like ages ago i didn't know like where it originated from but it just sounded so stupid and yeah, i it was created by Vosh. I sometimes, I sometimes play uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So it, it, in that kind of, you know, uh, role-playing games, like you try to find quirks to solve problems. So to some, to some degree, I, I... And there was a variety of different scenarios, but uh, to some degree, like, I don't think that two people in Nile constitutes a society yet. I think... Uh, so I'm not sure if, like how much laws apply, but basically, uh, or more moral laws, but basically, there, there is some, there could be some morality, but um, I didn't see it like as it applying yet, and I'm, I'm, in my opinion, and I don't know if this is the objectivist position, but let's say it is, uh, well, let's not say it is, it's, it's not the objective posi position, but uh, we're all, an, uh, me and another person are on an island, we should be in our own self-interest working to get off the island or survive together, and one person is saying, well, I, I want to abuse you right now. And I'm like, can, and I don't even know why that person would be sexually stimulated uh, while being life-threatened on an island and decide this is the right course of action. But I think what I chose to say was, well, I'll, I'll beat him up. Like, are you, are you stupid? We need to work together. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is like the part where the egoists are like, uh, yeah, just, just, there's an implied level of violence between us. You're stopping a dick. I can beat you up. You know, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's just it's just like we both need to survive and work together here. It's it's a small line. It's a very extreme situation. It's it doesn't resemble society at all. The, the main goal there is not to establish a working society. The main goal there is to get out of the island. Yeah, it's to survive. So it's a much more survival situation than it is anything a reflection of society. Exactly. I agree. Oh, unless unless sorry. Surviving is what uh, people who, what socialists would say, like you either work or you die. Like that, it's a survival situation. Therefore, sucking dick is is perfectly okay. Well, the thing is that right exists within a social. Um, yeah. Like. Um, well, even even the objectivist's position is that. Uh, um. How can I say this? That. Uh, Politics is the social application of morality. But for example, if I'm if I'm alone on an island, there is no 
other there's just me there's no application of morality to some someone so else there's no politics there's yeah there's no politics and i think i think uh, some people struggle with that like one or many has to be the same system but ultimately like if you look at it, look we, we bo- both me and him are trying to survive that's in our own best interest assuming we want to live but let's say we chose to live then we're both interested in surviving and it will be in our own rational self-interest to work together and find a way to get off the island yeah like uh capitalism doesn't say that that only through competition you can succeed it says then you can cooperate succeed or yep. whatever whatever you choose to do as an individual you can do it and i like, actually there, uh, sorry go ahead no like i was just gonna say like there's plenty of incidents where people choose to collaborate in to do something right to, towards a common goal instead of competing against each other so I, I actually see capitalism as as like largely cooperative. Sorry, not corporate, not cooperative as in co, but like cooperation. Well, mm-hmm. again, another word, mm-hmm. cooperative base. Like the nature of capitalism is we we work together, we we associate freely, we trade, volunt- we trade voluntarily, mm-hmm. and we also cooperate in teams to achieve a, a bigger goal. And you can see that all the way throughout capitalism. So, I mean, yes, we have like elements where we try to provide something in the market and someone else will try to provide something better. But even in those kinds of situations, when we do those things, we're typically working in a team with other people to mm-hmm. to produce something. Um, yeah. So I always saw, I I always see it as very cooperative. I don't I don't see it as like a doggy yeah, dog kind of world. Trying, yeah. Most of it is cooperative. There is some competition in the system, right? Because that's what happens when you when you have hierarchies, there is people competing to be at the top of the hierarchy, right? However, there is people working together within the I, hierarchy. You know, I, I I don't even I don't even know what to tell you about that. I don't see it as a hierarchy. Can you? I I obviously hierarchies so I, exist. Yeah, they, they they exist. I'm not I'm not, I'm not denying that they do exist, but it's. Uh, <clears throat> I don't see it as like competing to be the, the 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 top of the hierarchy. So, for example, if I were trying to sell something <clears throat> to a market, the comp- the focus, sorry, would be me making a better product myself. I'm not I'm not second-handed mm-hmm. in the sense that I'm trying to be the best uh, in my field. I'm first-hand and saying I just want to make a really good product because I care about my product. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So what I mean is that I don't mean that like everybody within capitalism is trying to go over the hierarchy. I'm saying like when you have hierarchies that exist, right? Which they exist. Are you ASMRing me? Oh, sorry. (laughs) There's certain people. Tickling my ears and everything. (laughs) (laughs) There's certain people within the hierarchy, right? That they will try to climb the hierarchy instead of going and following their own interest because they think that their own self-interest is to climb the hierarchy. So I'm not saying that everybody does that. I'm saying that there's people that do that. I think it's a I think it's a mistake. I think you should just do what makes you happy. A lot of people, you know, they they have like I a agree. yeah, they have like a feeling of you know doing something, making something creative or producing something or being productive in their life. It's a very meaningful kind of activity. And I, I, I think that if you try to be better than someone else of, of across the street or better than your neighbor, or better, I think it's uh, not something that induces a lot of happiness or maybe yeah, m- momentary I mean, happiness. 
you you should always be trying to do better than you were yesterday, not better than your neighbor is today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we agree then. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. did you, w would you like me to answer any issues you have with uh, objectivism? I know you have a lot of people on the server that you can ask these questions, but if you want to, I'm, I'm here or I can ask you some questions as well. Um. I mean, I've been recently. I've been watching the Leonard Peikoff um, lectures on oh, logic. Very good, and very good history stuff. Of, very yeah, oh, the history of philosophy, stuff. excellent stuff. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely amazing uh, course. I I would say also, there's like a second part of it that's not available on YouTube. Like you have to get, uh, but it's okay. It, it's uh, really really good. It has pragmatism, utilitarianism. Uh, hmm. Marxism, a lot of the a lot of the more recent stuff from Kant to up to analytical philosophy. I'm not sure to the 1970s where he gave that course. Continentalism, well, it was called existentialism when he was giving the course, but uh, the second mm. one is also very, but excellent. Really enjoyed it when I was um, traveling to work. When I was commuting to work. I would listen to it. it was it was really really great content. Sorry, you were yeah, saying. The, yeah, pretty much that's what I've been doing, like listening to it. What I what could work. The the one thing that I that I found so far that was like the biggest like eye opener for me. Mm -hmm. It was one that he said close to the end on the like the logic course, and it was when he was talking about what is like the law of identity and like what does it mean, right? And he was talking about how thinking is just the process of identification, right? Mm -hmm. and, he, and he said, and I quote, when you ask why. You asking what is the identity of the cause? When you ask where, you're asking what is the identity of the place. When you ask how, you're asking what is the identity of the means, and so on and so on. The only real question that you can ask is what is it? That's why thinking is the process of identification because all you can do is ask what is it. I mean, it's, it sounds good. Yeah, that, that that was that was very good stuff from Pico. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm starting to like it. I'm, and I, and I think um, most of the reason, probably like the reason that I'm starting to like it is, because I am like a very logical person, and I value non-contradictions. Mm -hmm. When people show me something, when people tell me something that is contradictory, like, oh, um, like A cannot can be non-A. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> That makes no sense, you know. So. I think I think a lot of people like when they try to accept like a system of philosophy, and they find a contradiction, it really nags them. And some people will outright drop like a whole system just because there's an element of it that's like sounds contradictory or they don't understand it, how it can work properly in reality, and they drop they will drop the whole system if the system isn't consistent. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, that's pretty much that kind of how I go. That's why I, when I ran into a problem back like six months ago in like anarcho-capitalism, I was like, well, it makes no sense. And I dropped it, and I, you know, because I don't have like any feelings or anything attached to like anything that I hold. I just, I care about my system of things being logical and consistent, right? I have a standard, and if it doesn't meet that standard, then I drop it. So that's why right now I think the most more like the most consistent system that I have is anarchism, you know. 
So I I have a few I guess questions about uh, ANCAPs. No, not ANCAPs, but some of the solutions uh, through ANCAPs, and maybe you could help me understand it better. So in market regulation, so basically, um, how do we guarantee that products are what they are and people don't cheat you when they sell you stuff? Mm -hmm. um, so I understood that you guys have something called like a, a fit for purpose framework, legal framework. That basically, and correct me if I'm wrong here, basically companies say this product I'm selling is fit for purpose, meaning they are taking on additional legal liabilities that if they are not, if the product doesn't serve what uh, it's supposed to do, then the company kind of agreed to be sued more easily through this legal framework. I'm not exactly familiar that I, with what you're talking about. Okay, so what what do you know about market-based regulation of uh, oh. quality of products? So I would recommend that um, if people want to like something like this to watch, um, my buddy um, Scott from Fabian Liberty, he has a good great video. So look it up, Fabian Liberty. How can the market market solve solve for um, pop like public goods or something like that right and, public uh, goods it, you guys have public goods you know it's basically what people call public goods how do we solve for it through private means it's it's just oh like, like roads and stuff you mean yeah exactly okay um, no I, I i didn't mean public goods i meant like uh, someone someone sells you something privately but maybe they have like a an unfair advantage on information they know more about the product than you and they want to say, of the, you know, there are me mechanisms even in the market to, to avoid it, but mm -hmm. they're trying to cheat you or, the, or like they're trying to sell you something and then run away. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's basically just fraud, right? Like if somebody yes. sells well, you a product, right? And they don't disclose, like if you sell me a house, right? And the house roof is falling apart and you didn't disclose that, you defrauded me, which we consider fraud to be a form of theft. Form of theft, yeah. So what what yeah. uh, what in and yeah in ancap you take them to court? So the 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 basis of anarcho capitalism, right? It's based on a couple of things, right? Natural law is one of them. And then right after that is right enforcement agencies, and then the third one is um, private arbitration, right? Okay. Um, the idea between behind this is that right enforcement agencies would work similar, right, to uh like an insurance right like an insurance company right and that what the expectation is and this is all based on predictions based on currently existing markets is that insurance companies since they have an incentive to not go to arbitration they'll settle things between them before even reaching arbitration like right now when you have like a car accident 97 percent of like car accidents are settled before court so they never go to court so that's kind of like the expectation that we have when it comes to right enforcement agencies, right? So two people have two different right enforcement agencies and they have a dispute. They two right enforcement agencies would communicate and they'll find a middle ground, right? So if uh, if someone sold me a bad product, then the then 97% of the time it will go through arbitration. Or some somewhere around the, it won't go to arbitration. Right? Be, so it will go it will go to some kind of agreement. Yeah, they'll normally settle before reaching arbitration, right? And um, 
and then right after well, what, that, then what if is the they process? Settle, that's when a small minority of it, and they'll go to arbitration. What what would be the process for? Uh, someone sold me a house. The roof is bad. I say, "Oi, you sold me a dodgy house. Fix it or something, something." What what would be the process? I approach them directly, or uh, what what would you? You say can it would be? do. You can either contact your own like right enforcement agency, or you can contact their right enforcement agency and then try to find what is the problem. Or sometimes a lot of the stuff, like let's say if you sold a house and you had like a real estate agent, sometimes the real estate agent is going to be the one that is going to be like finding out what happened. You know, whether it was sometimes it was the fault of the real estate agent and the owner told the real estate agent and he wasn't the one that disclosed it. So then in that case, the real estate agent is the one that's um, responsible for the fraud or lies okay and what if the person is a genuine uh bad person and they ignore all the calls to settle they don't come to court they run away and just ignore everything what uh what would be done under then then at that point you know like you've gone to, so we have a thing within the non-aggression principle that's called the gentleness principle and if you try to go through the most gentle way possible and the person still won't, won't, like, won't even try to find solve the conflict, then it's up to you and your right enforcement agency to decide what your guys are going to do next. And it's very not much different from a state. You know, if two states have a dispute and they cannot settle and they want to go to war to solve that because they think it will be more beneficial, then they can. But, you know, most of the time that never, never gets to that level. Sorry, what? So, so at that point, they're a generally bad person. They they try to fraud me. So now I ask my right enforcement agency to track them down and beat them up or something. <laughs> I mean, I guess if your right enforcement agency thinks that it will be profitable to go to war, and well, we're not. I don't know do about that. war. I'm not sure about war or not because technically. That person did break the law. If they have a right enforcement agency, that right enforcement agency would probably agree with me that yeah, and that is a dishonest person. Then, I'm not sure if it's you war. Just go and take their stuff. Yeah, because yeah. They, if they defend yeah. a fraudster, they'll get a bad reputation just just out exactly. of doing that. So exactly. I would send my right enforcement to, to catch that person. Yeah, or it's even possible that their own right enforcement agency will be like, "Dude, you settle for this. We're taking your stuff and giving it to the other guy." That was the agreement. So, you know, what if it doesn't? What if they don't have? Like, uh, what if they don't have enough stuff to compensate me for my loss? I guess you have the same problem now, then, technically. Yeah, exactly. Like at that point, it's like, well, you know, they have a debt that they have to pay to you, and when they, you know, they have to pay it to you little by little, similar to how it is now. Do Do you think that um, this process is a longer? process than in regular well, society or do you think it's a short process i think it would be more efficient and i think we we know this based on like the things that like most companies like agree to because the fact that we have a, a market of regulation of um arbitration it mm -hmm. leads to the idea that you know we have now competition and whatever whether people want more efficiency or they want like a more just system it would depend on what the people within the community want so if they want like a more efficient system, they'll get that because through competition, that's what they get. But if they want um, like a more um, accurate justice system, they can get that or a little bit of both. It will depend on 
what is the demand within the market you know for arbitration technically uh, uh the pre-arbitration stage i think would work in objectivism as well because if yeah the, the we still have courts to resolve disputes but if you don't want to go to court you, you want to do it in the market it that's fine. yeah yeah okay so i have one last question i guess i'll let you go and it's this is more for my benefit i guess so i have mm -hmm. seen i have seen fabian's uh, richmond trade association i like oh, i like okay. the idea like the idea no one's necessarily heard of it like there's no if i google richmond trade association I'll get like trade associations in Richmond. I won't get mm -hmm. like uh, this concept. So I, I again, I, I like the idea, but I want like some evidence for it. Because if it's I mean, like hev heavily it's critiqued, a, basically yeah. like a charity organization, right? That exists to solve things. Like we have charities right now for the homeless. We have charities right now for, um, like the environment. We have we have all of those things right now. He just created it he just gave it a name and explained the concept you know because it, so it, was it his works idea? like a charity yeah it was his idea uh, oh so it's not like uh but why did he choose to call it a richmond trade association because it's from richmond because it's from richmond virginia <laughs> oh okay fair enough i i, I thought it was, i thought it's a thing that existed and like oh where can i google this like oh okay i can't find anything uh, no, so no, so no. basically like prestigious charities that if you are on mm -hmm. board then you are a good company you're helping everyone and we should buy from you as a result yeah basically yeah and you know they can use things like a lottery or or like a casino or something to gather funds to like you know it's just a charity okay well it sounds it's i like again i i thought it was a good idea yeah. i also have like an example myself where it's not like a hundred percent ancap or or objectivism, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I, I had that uh, city in India where uh, corporations built like the majority of the city, not because they wanted to, but because the government wasn't going to do it. So they built like roads and they built um, train stations and a train and, and they pay for, I don't know, 80% of the police is through the corporations and they were still being taxed. Like the, they'd rather not be doing these things, but the government isn't isn't doing them so they decided to do it themselves but it's a pretty interesting story that a city in india for 40 years uh, was almost not 100 percent, but almost entirely built by corporations yeah i mean it's almost as if we left the market work it will work right <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but i but I, it's just that i need these concrete examples otherwise mm -hmm. it's just well, difficult to I persuade people I would recommend um, looking to fraternal, 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 sorry, fraternal societies and mutual yes. aid associations. Mm -hmm. If you haven't looked into them, I can send you some videos and stuff and, or, and to you, your DMs uh, so you can look into them because they were a common thing before the U.S., like the government took over healthcare. We had yeah. very similar things, like similar to the Richmond Trade Association within the healthcare market. Are there any? There are still mutual aid societies now, right? Yeah, but um, when it comes, they were far more dominant then because you know we didn't have a welfare state, so there was a market need for them. When there isn't as much now because the state has taken over them. Yeah, the the stuff where you say like you know mutual aid society or friendship society or a, lo a lodge, mm -hmm. a lodge, a lodge doctor, medical do lodges, yeah, Th those are very. 
and the fact that it existed in the past, those are very uh, applicable things to, to discuss because it happened, it was very cheap, it worked very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked incredibly well. <laughs> yeah. Like, the only... it's, it, when I found out about them, I was like, I was so surprised of like, how well they worked that I was like, why are we doing this, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it's regulatory capture and perverse incentives with the state kind of perper- you know, destroyed the in- market incentives. Yeah, explaining to people incentives that government has no incentives, has no economic mm-hmm. incentives, almost takes forever. But I know, yeah. I know that uh, I know that um, in Hawaii, some sugar plantations have like an on on-site doctor for everyone and and their families. Oh, well, I'll so look into a, that. I didn't know so that. Yeah, so it's essentially li- like that. And obviously, mm-hmm. today, not not with regards to lodges, but we have the more libertarian uh, direct prime. Direct primary care, which is not through insurance. And by the way, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard, but uh, do you know the guy, the the billionaire called Mark Cuban? Yeah, of yeah, course no, you know. know his Cuban. name's Cuban. Yeah. Why would you not know his name? <laughs> uh, so he's no, recently. No, no. I, I watch basketball. Yes. So he recently the Mavericks. Yes. So he recently uh, opened up a um, online store for generic. Drugs? Oh, for drugs, yes, and he's planning to sell everything twenty five percent lower. I saw about that. No, it was. It's not even. Too, it's like it's like thousand a thousand percent lower in some cases. Like you, you've oh, got like really? legit uh, cancer drugs there for like forty seven dollars a month. It's in. It's, Damn. And and I I heard that uh, Amazon wants to do that as well. So it's finally mm-hmm. in, in generics at the very least. Finally, yeah. you have some competition in these things, and people don't have to like drive to Canada and whatnot yep. because. Yep. I'm I'm trying right now to research poverty to some degree, and uh, those two things I've noticed that that really when I say kills, I don't mean like actually fatally kills, but it kills their finances, kills old people. It's uh, property taxes and medical and, and like pills and stuff like mm-hmm. that, prescription pills, because the property taxes well, could be like seven thousand dollars, twelve thousand dollars a year. Like these these are people in retirement. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. they don't have that much money. Well, a lot of the reasons they don't have that much money for retirement is because the government is also the one running their retirement. So, you know, they're fucking broke. <laughs> and yeah. Social security is not the greatest investment system, you know. But even if you like, even if like went super hardcore and like saved, I don't know, half a million in your, let's say you had a pension, half a million in your pension. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, I want a monthly fee till the day I died. That's not going to cover... Like it's going to be slightly cover the property taxes, and then if you need some pills or something, that's that's game over. Yeah. Well, and and I know this is the part where like me and objectivists disagree the most when it comes to politics is IP. I think IP is one of the ways that uh, that it that creates this like lack of competition. But you know that's a very well, deep I, talk for another day. <laughs> I mean, see, so yeah, we we do we are for intellectual property uh, because we recognize. The effort that it was taken, but in in this case, we're talking about generic drugs, so there is no IP. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, we can we can schedule a conversation about IP another day, I guess. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I go can. Already. <laughs> I I can talk about IP at another another time. That's that's fine. Um, that is actually a very big difference, and I think mm-hmm. so. I I would say without really discussing it, I would say if you don't have IP, then you are crippling your innovation and technological progress i disagree but like i said this might be a talk for another day (laughs) sure 
All right. Well, nice talking with you, philosophical zombie. Uh, thanks Thank for you, Lucas. Sure. Take care. Thank you. Bye bye.